if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. Seven minutes after the hour, nine o'clock, and we are started on this Tuesday, the 22nd morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord 2020. Thank you so much for being with us. Coming up in about a half an hour, we are going to be talking with uh, Jack Windsor uh, from Ohio Ohio Star and uh, WMFT Television down there in Columbus. Jack is uh, has got his ear to the ground uh, in Columbus on what is going on today. And the news today is that 311 is not officially dead yet. Not officially. Because both chambers of the General Assembly will be in session today. The House will be in at around noon, starting a session. The Senate, which normally would start in the morning with a session, will be in around 2.30. Which could, based on previous um, uh, experiences, I guess is the best way to say that, could be as late as 3.30 or 4 o'clock, which is awfully late in the day to get something as extraordinarily important as the repeal, or beg your pardon, not the repeal, the override of Mike DeWine's veto on Senate Bill 311 done. Because, of course, it has to happen first in the Senate before it can possibly happen in the House. We've been talking about this and covering it for days and days and days. And not to beat this into the ground, but just I just have to give you a reminder, this is our only chance to take back a little bit of the power for the people. A little bit of the liberty that you and I have had taken away from us by a very, very egomaniacal, uh, power-hungry, and power-mad Pre- or, uh, a governor. I, Mike DeWine is just, I mean, he is so much a Democrat in what he is trying to do to you and do to businesses in this state and wants all control. It's like he looks at Andrew Cuomo and says, that's my idol. How he's doing it. Full and total control. Whatever gets done in the state of New York comes from his desk. That That's it. The legislature in New York has no say. That's how he wants to run things here. I think he looks up. I think he's got a man crush on Andrew Cuomo because I see so many similarities. The difference being, Andrew Cuomo is an admitted leftist Democrat governor. Mike DeWine is supposed to be a Republican governor. So, 
Uh, we're going to talk to Jack Windsor about all of this. So House, House, uh, or excuse me, uh, uh, SB 311, Senate Bill 311, which passed the House and passed the Senate, which takes back some of the unilateral power from the governor and the health director that he appoints and puts it in the hands of the legislature where they have to vote and sign off on things that are done, extraordinary measures that they want to take in the event of an emergency, health or otherwise. Very, very important to override that veto. And again, just to again, I apologize for the redundancy, but for those who haven't been paying attention, Senate President Larry Oboff said back on December 3rd that he has the votes to override a potential Mike DeWine veto and that he would indeed call for that floor vote in the Senate to override the veto, then send it to the House and let them do their part of it. Um Larry Obhoff, for some strange reason, changed his mind. From the time he said that, December 3rd, reported by multiple media outlets, he has not called that vote. Here we are on December 22. There is word, and that's why we're talking to Jack, that it may actually be done today. And in fact, there is a bit of a dispute as to whether or not, not a dispute really, a debate, I guess, uh, as to whether or not the late start for the Senate today in their session down in Columbus is to delay the vote, so that it can't happen in time, thus, you know, relieving Larry Aboff of his responsibility to follow up on his own word and potentially give him cover with Mike DeWine. Um, or if it's just the opposite, they're doing a delayed start so that members who are not in the state right now, including Huffman, can fly back from uh, Florida in time to cast a very important vote. So we just don't know. But I'm going to see what <clears throat> Jack Windsor has to say about it. He is, uh, again, going to join us at 9.35. Excuse me, a little bit froggy this morning. Uh, he's going to join us at 9.35 to tell us what he is hearing with his ear to the ground in Columbus. Then at 10.10, well, you know what day it is. It's Tuesday, and that means it's cursing out day. Peter will join us primarily on his appointment to uh, the 1776 Commission, the President's 1776 Commission, aimed at changing the way children are educated in the United States, particularly as it pertains to America's fo- uh, founding and uh, reminding everybody of exactly who and what the United States of America was at its birth and is today. It's extraordinarily important. Peter Kirstenau is on that commission, as is Salem Media's own Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk, founder of Turning Point USA, is also on that commission. There's only 18 members of it. It's chaired by Dr. Larry Arne, president of Hillsdale College, and among its membership, Peter Kersenow and Charlie Kirk. So Pete and I are going to talk about what that goal is of that commission and um, how it can be achieved. So having said all of that, where do we start today? We have to start, of course, with um, our pathetic, weak, ineffective federal government, our Congress. You know the drill by now. You know what they did. It's what they always do, especially when Democrats are in charge, and they were, of the House side, the purse strings controllers. They delayed the coronavirus relief bill, money that American families, and moreover, and perhaps more importantly, America's businesses, because they employ America's families, but uh, money that American families and businesses needed desperately months ago to help survive all of the uh, impact or the ramifications of the coronavirus lockdown orders and restriction orders and uh, business-destroying or business-limiting orders, etc., the massive spike in unemployment because of said shutdowns, 
Um, they needed this money months ago. Nancy Pelosi refused to come to an agreement on this months ago by her own admission because she hated the president. And she will do so now only because there's a, quote, new president on the way. So we know about that. And again, a little bit redundant there, and I apologize not for that because uh, it's important for you to realize that's what she did. But this is what also they do. You remember, do you not? Nancy Pelosi, who was also the speaker at the time of the Obamacare passage, the most massive behemoth maybe in the history of American legislation. It was it was thousands of pages long. I can't remember exactly what number of thousand. And she said, yeah, we need to pass this to find out what's in it. Yesterday, it was very similar. They came up with a coronavirus relief bill. They put it on the, uh, attached it to the omnibus spending package, the two-year omnibus spending package, uh, so that they would have to be tied together if passed or rejected. It was over 5,000 and, in fact, closer to 6,000 pages. And they gave membership in the House and in the Senate less than five hours to try to figure out what's in it before they had to cast a yay or a nay. They refused to allow your representatives in Congress to actually see what was in it so they could cast an intelligent vote. They got the thumbnail sketch. They got the Cliff Notes version. I think the kids today use Spark Notes. They got the Spark Notes version. They did not get all of the details to find out what was in it. And perhaps that's why it passed so overwhelmingly. Not everybody voted for it, thankfully including 4th Congressional District Representative Jim Jordan. I just talked to his person prior to the show starting. He confirmed that Jim Jordan did not vote for it. And the reason why is because of everything that has nothing to do with American uh, relief, coronavirus relief. This bill, like so many others, is filled with Democrat dreams. And it has passed all because, well, we can't afford to not pass it because Americans need this relief. What am I talking about? Well, among the extra assistance programs that are being funded by this bill, which, by the way, gives you 600 bucks, hey, $10 million to Pakistan for gender programs, 600 bucks to you. Wait, what? What, France? What did you just say? You heard me correctly. This COVID relief bill that lawmakers agreed upon over the weekend and voted to pass last night includes $10 million for gender programs in Pakistan. You're unemployed because your shop got shut down because of coronavirus and it's not an essential business. You're unemployed because your employer had to cut its its uh, um, capacity down on its customers so they can't make enough money to keep you on. You're home unemployed. Pakistan is getting $10 million for gender programs. What in the living H does that even mean? I don't know. What's a gender program in Pakistan, and why are we sending $10 million of my tax dollars and your tax dollars to them to do it? I don't understand. I truly do not understand. 
There are some, I'm, I'm a relatively educated man, but there are some things that I cannot get through my thick head. And that is how any member of Congress can say, while we are trying to help the American people through this unprecedented, economically crushing pandemic, we should also fund all of our most ridiculous <laughs> projects and programs that we seven hundred million dollars goes to Sudan in the COVID relief package. Did did you hear that? How many Americans do you know are living and working in Sudan? I'm going to guess none. But they're getting $700 million of your COVID relief dollars. $300 million for fisheries. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? I mean, I mean, this, this is, there's a thread that I put on my, uh, uh, on my parlor, uh, account. Follow me on Parler at uh, France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, all one word, no spaces, no underscores, like I used to use Twitter. There's a thread that I stole from Twitter from Tom Elliott from Grabian News that gave some of the details on these things. Um, and it is it is staggering. It truly is staggering. Just to throw a few other ones uh, at you. Let's see. The COVID relief bill includes a lengthy subsection entitled the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act of 2020. It spends enormous amounts of dollars on whether or not horses should be given painkillers before they train or before they race. Again, I ask you, how many of those dollars could have gone to put another meal on your uh, uh, table, to pay a month of your rent, to help you meet your insurance premiums, or whatever the case may be? The COVID relief bill outlays funds to address gender inequality amongst Statues. All right, Bob, you're going too far now. You're making this up. What do you mean gender among statues? I mean gender among statues. Gender inequality. That there has to be just as many female statues as there are male statues. (laughs) In federal grounds. And they're spending money money to quote-unquote address it or study it. I'm not making this stuff up, my friends. This stuff is legitimate. It's real, and they voted to pass it yesterday. The COVID relief bill spends some of the money that could go to help you make this month's car payment while you're down and out because of your job status, because of COVID. This bill includes funds for a museum that will offer programming, education, and exhibitions on the life of art, history, and culture of women. Because that's what we need right now. A women's museum about their life, art, history, and culture at the, in, in the midst of a, a, a pandemic that is destroying the economy in this country. That's well done, Congress. The COVID relief bill gives $193 million for federal HIV and AIDS workers who are stationed abroad to buy new cars. Now, that's very, very specific. I want you to understand. I don't know how many HIV and AIDS workers there are overseas stationed there by the United States who need to buy new cars. But they just got $193 million with which to do it. So I am guessing 
that they means each and every one of them is going to be buying, I don't know, what's the most expensive car in the world? Is it a Tesla? I don't know. But they're all going to be able to buy several of them. $193 million for that. The COVID relief bill includes funding to discourage teenagers from drinking and hooking up. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. They're spending money to address, quote, youth risk behavior such as underage drinking or illicit drug use without normalizing teen sexual activity. Lordy, I'm not saying I want teens to go out drinking and doing drugs and having sex, but I don't think it takes federal dollars in the middle of a pandemic to address that. And by the way, of course, Democrat pet projects like the Kennedy Center, another $40 million outlay for the Kennedy Center. Do you understand what's going on here? Do you understand that they are literally spending us into oblivion and establishing their own pet projects, getting in good with foreign governments, many of whom are not friendly to us, all with your tax dollars and my tax dollars that we could desperately use for our own personal needs right now. And everybody says, well, at least I'm getting $600. No, you're not. Those $600 were yours to begin with. You had to send them into Washington, only for them to turn around and direct deposit 600 of your thousands of tax dollars back to you for your own use. It's your money anyway. They gave us nothing other than what was already ours. And they are giving a ton of ours to other countries, pet projects, ridiculous expenditures, The vast majority of which, by the way, I haven't even told you about yet, which is the groundwork being laid for a Climate Security Advisory Council. Yes, the Biden-Harris administration, the liberal Democrat leftist takeover of this country is going to destroy it and you by way of climate. That's right. Climate policy is going to be the death knell. All right, I got so much to talk about with you today. I want you to. I want to hear from you too. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. We'll be right back. So the only thing that this uh, stimulus bill, this uh, coronavirus relief bill that's supposed to stimulate the economy and help you out, the only thing it's stimulating is a lot of angry conversation. $10 million for gender programs in Pakistan. (laughs) It came out of my paycheck. And it came out of your paycheck. Uh, $700 million for Sudan. I don't want to go through all again, but my goodness. Uh, And this this is the federal government at work. And, and you know, how many hundreds of congressmen voted for it because they had to, because if they don't, then what will the Democrats do who put all of this crap into the bill? The Democrats will say, your Republican legislators voted against giving you relief. They voted against giving you $600, a significant sum. By the way, that part matters, too. Did you hear what Nancy Pelosi said in uh, her little presser about this? That $600 that you're going to get in this uh, stimulus bill? We also have in the legislation uh, d- direct payments, which were not in the Republican bill, to America's working families. I would like them b- been bigger, but they are uh, significant. She called the $600 significant. 
But when the Trump tax cuts were passed that were going to bring an average of $1,200 to every middle-class working family, she called those crumbs. $1,200 to working families in tax cuts. Crumbs. $600, half the amount to America's uh, uh, American workers. Significant. This pig needs to get the heck out of that uh, pen in Washington, D.C., sooner rather than later. And yeah, I said what I said. I am sick to death of this disgusting, wretched human being who literally said that she was holding up the, and made a decision, not a mistake, a decision, to hold up this spending bill months ago because we didn't have a new president yet. She didn't want Trump to get any credit for his role in any coronavirus relief. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna resort to junior high name calling. She is simply wretched, and she has no business being in federal government, much less in the speakership, number three in the line uh, to the presidency. I I never I, I said yesterday. I'm gonna say it again. I hold grudges. And I am going to hold a grudge against her for as, lo- as long as her natural life. And I don't care if she lives to be 110, if she is decrepit, and if she is uh, uh, laid up someplace, I am going to continue to be repulsed by her. I'm going to continue to tell everyone what she did to the American people over her own personal political feelings in the fall of the year 2020. She is simply disgusting. All right, uh, I'm going to get a timeout here. I'm going to get our newscast. Then we're going to get Jack Windsor onto the air. And Jack is going to tell us what's going on in Columbus today. It's a big deal. Uh, some potential big news could emerge from the State House today. We'll talk to Jack about that. Then we'll get to your phone call. So if you're on hold, stay there. If you're not on hold, get there. We'll talk to you on 81420 The Answer. Progressive Democrats. You have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Now 937. We continue on AM 1420. The answer. We got so much going on in Washington, D.C. with this ridiculous stimulus bill, this ridiculous COVID relief bill that provides relief to just about everybody more than it does to you and me. And now to our own capital in Columbus. I've been all over this for the last several days, as you know, taking no prisoners, uh, scorched earth, uh, if that's what it takes to get action from our leaders, including the Senate president, who is uh, has been reneging for at least two and a half weeks now on a promise that he made. Uh, to uh, hold a vote to potentially override uh, uh, Senate Bill 311, which was vetoed by Mike DeWine because it would take away some of his unilateral power. Joining us now to talk about where we stand as we get so close to the end of this uh, General Assembly term is Jack Windsor. Uh, Jack Windsor is the managing editor of the Ohio Star. He's also a reporter for WMFD Television. Jack, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for uh, choosing me this morning. It's an honor to be here. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Jack, um, you've got your ear to the ground, is the way I've been phrasing it, in Columbus, as well as anybody does. Uh, I've got a few sources there myself, so I've heard a few things, that there is a chance. I was told last week 
that the last chance to override 311 was last week, uh, that people weren't going to be coming back, people were going to be gone for Christmas, they weren't going to be able to get votes together for any kind of a meaningful session this week. Yet, from what I'm hearing, uh, there is a chance that there could be a vote in both chambers of the General Assembly today on 311. What are you hearing, Jack Windsor? I'm hearing the same thing. Um, I can tell you from the perspective of the House, uh, I've heard from a couple of representatives, if Senate Bill 311 is taken up in the Senate, it goes to the floor, it goes to a vote, and they get the 20 votes needed to override, that representatives are expected, regardless of where they are, to get in their cars and get back to Columbus, Ohio, um, to, to vote. Um, however, it, it needs to start in the Senate, and I'm not, I'm not so confident. Um, the session today... We'll start at 2.30, I believe 10.30 is the traditional start time. And, um, you know, you and I have uh, kind of went back and forth on this as to why that would happen. Um, the outside looking in, it sure looks like it, it's going to be a shortened session for the purpose of maybe evading Senate Bill 311. Um, but I think you heard something else, and I'm, I'm interested in, in exploring that a little bit as well. Well, what I heard, and I told the audience in the first segment, um, is that it's possible that the reason for the delayed start today is not to um, shorten the session and thus stall the vote, but actually to allow members who are not in the state right now to be here and be present so they can cast important votes, including Huffman, who is... um, uh, we were told at the end of last week when we were interviewing uh, Christina Rogner, actually shortly after that, that he took off for Florida for his Christmas vacation um, prior to you know any vote being called, which indicated, of course, that there would not be a vote called. He, he would be one of the most important 20 votes to override the veto. So with him not here, there's clearly not going to be a vote. So what I have been told is that the, there's a possibility anyway that the reason they delayed the start to, uh, time today to this afternoon is so that he can fly his behind back here and be here for that important vote. I don't know which one to believe, Jack. Yeah, that would be important because the 20 is the cutoff, and that's precisely what they had before. Unless one of the other four Republican senators, Matt Dolan, Stephanie Kunze, uh, Peggy Lehner, and Kirk Schuring, they all voted against it last time. So if he's not able, you know, uh, to get his hind end back to Columbus, one of the other four Republicans that, that turned their backs uh, on Ohioans would have to show up and, you know, have a change of mind and change of heart and uh, vote yay instead of nay. You know, it's interesting the way you phrase that. One of the others that turned their backs on Ohioans. Um, I could not agree more, and and I am stunned, to be 100% honest with you, that there isn't more urgency among Republicans in that General Assembly to say, I don't want to be one of the minority in this group. Because what 311 does, let's talk about Larry Aboff now in particular, the Senate president. He has been... Very um, loud and vocal about saying, well, this wouldn't do much anyway because it's not going to repeal the mask mandate and it's not going to uh, repeal the curfew and it's not going to you know, change the capacity allowances and so on and so forth. So what's the big deal? Why don't you just allow me to negotiate with the governor uh, about uh, you know, um, uh, decriminalizing any violations of those orders? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, you can't really think we're that stupid. And none of them who uh, are among the, you know, the four names you just mentioned, or Aboff himself, can't think we're that stupid 
to not understand what 311 does. While it may not immediately repeal all of those things, what it does is it takes the power, the unilateral power anyway, away from the executive branch and puts some of it in the hands of the people by way of the legislature. And, and so the next time he wants to order something that we find to be questionable, just let's just be generous here and say questionable, let alone insane, um, the assembly gets to vote on it. And, 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 and the representatives of the people actually have a say in this. How any of them want to be associated with trying to deny us that, Jack Windsor, I don't understand. You know, they're, they're hiding. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a dog before and you come home and maybe the dog chewed the shoe up and it's cowering in the corner. That's what they're doing. You know, they're, they're hiding under the suspicion that folks aren't going to take time to pull Senate Bill 311 off the Ohio legislature site, take a look at it, and understand what it means to making sure that general uh, stay-at-home orders and lockdowns are not permissible. And as you said, it returns the power uh, back to the General Assembly, which is where it should be. Abhoff did something really interesting. Uh, he had folks protesting at his house over the weekend. And I, I, I do this with a little bit of caution because I've not been able to track down the source but he took to Facebook yesterday and posted, I don't know if it was on a, a neighborhood uh, Facebook page or his personal page. His personal page is on lockdown. Um, but he you know, spent three paragraphs explaining that he's sorry to his neighborhood um, because of the protesters showing up and saying that most people have the decency to avoid residential neighborhoods, but the people who were there today obviously had no, set, no such compunction. And then he goes on to compare it to um, uh, Amy Acton and how the whole purpose of this protest was harassment and intimidation. And I, I read something like that and I go, how tone deaf, how, how removed from reality are you? Um, you've not missed a paycheck. And uh, by the way, uh, uh, Americans just got robbed by the feds. Uh, you know, we're going to get $600 and, you know, we're going to, we're going to send, uh, I don't know, identity, gender, education dollars overseas by the millions. And it's disgusting. We've been robbed by the feds, and now we're being ignored by the Ohio Senate. And he's surprised by this. He's surprised that citizens are, are pissed that, uh, are, that their liberties have been taken away, that they no longer have the capacity to decide um, what to do in their daily lives. And uh, I know other uh, General Assembly members who have had people outside their houses uh, multiple times from day one that they were elected. So I think Larry Abhoff um, probably needs to grow a spine um, and, and probably needs to take the wax out of his ears and start listening to Ohioans. Jack, I will agree with probably 99.9% of what you just said. I will only say, um, just for the sake of the discussion, that I am generally not in favor of protesters going to people's homes, elected officials' homes. Um, generally speaking, you should protest them at their places of work. If you want to get their attention, go to where they work. I don't like that. It's not fair to the neighbors. It's not fair to the kids of the family who don't have any, you know, who may be, you know, intimidated by this or whatever. Generally speaking. However, in this case, Larry Obhoff has been Joe Biden hiding in whatever basement he can to avoid having to answer any questions from anybody, from press, from activist uh, uh, leaders, uh, from, from people like me. He has hidden. So in other words, if he's not going to be in the state house talking to the people, then what good does it do for him? 
say you can prote- protest at the state house if you want. If he's home in the basement and he's not listening, then I'm going to go to where he is and, 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 and make him hear me there. And to, to your point about his Facebook page, I have it open right now. You said it's on lockdown. Maybe he's just blocked you. I don't know. But I, I'm looking at it right now. Larry Aboff, uh, at Larry Aboff OH, government official. And the last post he has made on Facebook was December 4th. This is December 22nd, and as I, we've been discussing for, for days and days now, Jack, obviously we're all waiting to see what happens on a potential override vote for Senate Bill 311. He said the day before this post, on December 3rd, that he absolutely has the votes and would call for the vote. So he has not posted anything since then. He has not said anything then since then. He has not answered criticism from people like me or people in places bigger than me about this. The only time he breaks his social media media silence is to say hey you shouldn't protest at my house yeah absolutely and you know i get your point on that um i'm a first amendment guy if they're out in the street but i I get it um i also look at this time we're we're in an exceptional time In, in that post that i read from also he talks about having staffers manning the phones and returning calls and and i'm gonna throw a flag on that too uh i've called his office probably 12 times in the past two weeks uh, never get a live voice. I've left a message. I've talked with his press secretary. He won't return my calls. He won't take an interview. He won't answer any questions. Um, so, you know, to the average Ohioan, it looks like he's collecting a paycheck and, you know, he's going to ride off into the sunset, wait a year, and then, you know, throw on the black robe and put a gavel in his hand and, and, and maybe get an appointment. And I just don't think that sits well uh, with everybody. Um, but, you know, we'll find out a lot about Larry Abhoff today. Um, I think that's the part that you hit that frustrates a lot of people. He puffed his chest up around December 3rd or 4th and said, we have the votes and I promise a vote on this. Well, where are you, Larry? Um, if you promise a vote, I mean, when you promise people, um, you're not just promising the 300,000 people in your district. You're promising 11.7 million Ohioans who've been through the gauntlet for the past 10 months, and it's time to show up and do your job. Let me ask you this. Um, I have heard from some people that I have respect for, people who are conservatives and who are conservative leaders in various ways. Some of them are community community groups and activist groups. Uh, some of them have, have actually been in state uh, positions, appointed in elected positions. Um, very active people um, who have contacted me about my criticism and others' criticism of Larry Obhoff during this period of time. And it's very, very clear they're speaking from the vantage point of personal friendships and loyalty. They have been friends with Larry Abbaugh for years, and they're trying to convince me that he's not doing anything wrong. He's not the problem here. The system is the problem here. I had somebody, Jack, that I respect tell me the problem here is term limits. If a guy like Larry Abbaugh wasn't term limited and thus facing unemployment after his term ends, he wouldn't have to maybe compromise his principles in order to get a plum position, uh, an appointment from, from Mike DeWine for his next job. So we should get rid of term limits i mean these are things these are people that normally i respect and and agree with Uh, that to me is 100 million degrees the well not 100 million i guess i'd say 180 degrees the opposite uh from what i think needs to happen term limits need to be at every level of government and we need people who actually have courage enough to say i'm going to do what's right for the people my constituency not what's right for me in my next career path if you once you're term limited you got to go get a real job and not another appointment to a government position then that's what you do so they're defending larry aboff 
on their personal relationship with him, saying he's been a great conservative stalwart and a leader for so long. How dare you attack him in such a way now? And I wonder if those people are the ones who are getting into his ears. And he's emboldened by his stand, saying people aren't going to hold me accountable for this. You know, I know I know who my true friends are. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot there, Bob. And I, I you know, I try to see both sides of that coin. I genuinely do. I had a chance to speak uh, a few months back, and Larry was there, um, and uh, you know, he was very, I, I don't know, kind. I guess is the word I'll use. Um, but look, we're, I'm not talking about Larry Alhoff as as a as an individual. I don't know what kind of dad he is. I don't know what kind of um, you know a community member he is. But I can tell you what kind of senator he is. And he's a senator right now that's wishy-washy, and he's not making the hard decision. I would encourage the people who are speaking on his behalf in that way to sit down with the average Ohioan, any one of the three hundred thousand people who have not who are still unemployed, and talk to them about term limits. I mean, how insulting! I mean, at the end of the day, you the best way to get where you want to go is to is to do the absolute best at where you are. And if you stand up on December second or third and you say, "I promise to bring this to vote," we have the votes, and it's December twenty second, and you're silent and you're you're not returning calls to constituents, you're you're lashing out and calling people irresponsible for showing up at your house, you're not returning uh, phone calls of reporters. I'm sorry, that is what it is. Uh, you know, on its face, it's 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 poor leadership. That doesn't mean that he's not a good dad or not a good friend, um, right. but he needs to step into the role. And I will also, uh, you know, stipulate that perhaps in the past he has been a great, great friend to conservatives and has helped shepherd some important legislation through the Ohio General Assembly on behalf of the constitutional principles that many conservatives support. I'm not going to say he is all bad. I'm not going to say that historically he hasn't been a conservative friend. I am saying that in this case, he and he alone can call for the vote to help the people of Ohio get some of their liberty back from a tyrannical uh, governor named Mike DeWine, who is just enjoying his power. I think he's got a man crush on people like Andrew Cuomo, and he is governing just the way the liberal Democrat Cuomo is in New York, where every decision that's made in response to the coronavirus is made from the desk of Andrew Cuomo. Everything is his call, and Mike DeWine is the same way here. And this time, you know, at this point, Larry Obhoff's one mission is to retrieve some of that stolen liberty from Mike DeWine and give it back to the people. If he chooses not to do so, we know all we need to know about him. And all of his previous conservative bona fides uh, are uh, go by the wayside. So that I guess, is where we have to leave it. The music is playing, Jack Windsor, but I appreciate you... Uh, uh, do me a favor. I know you're, uh, again, you're you're very close to what's going on in Columbus, so if you get new word about what's going on here today, uh, let's stay in touch, and I, uh, and I certainly look forward to hearing from you again. All right, Bob. Have a Merry Christmas. God bless you. Thank you, you so much. Be- you beat me to it. I wanted to say Merry Christmas if we don't talk between now and Friday, so thank you very much, Jack <laughs> Windsor. Merry Christmas to you and yours. All right. It All is right. 9.53, so let's get our uh, time out here and come right back. AM 1420, the answer. Enjoy it again.
You know what stinks? Overpaying for things, and that includes your cell phone bill. That's why every day people are switching to Pure Talk USA. You get the exact same coverage as the larger carriers, but at half the cost, with no contract and no excessive fees. Get unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data offered just $20 a month. The average person saves $400 a year. Go to puretalkusa.com, enter the promo code half off, and you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code half off. Pure Talk USA. Simply. Hi there, everybody. Al Pulowski here, the voice of the Cleveland State Vikings men's basketball team. You can catch every Cleveland State basketball game right here on 1420 WHK. Plus, catch the Cleveland State Coaches Show with Dennis Gates Wednesday nights from 7 until 8. Make sure you join us all season long right here on the flagship home for Cleveland State men's basketball, 1420 WHK, 102.5 FM, whkradio.com online. Also, iHeartTuneIn and radio.com. All right, 957. So, um, you know, this is kind of an example of what I was talking about. Again, I won't identify anybody on these because uh, they're people that I respect, and this is not personal. This is just a disagreement on the issue at hand. So a, a friend and a uh, frequent, I should say frequent, but a multiple-time guest on the show that I truly enjoy speaking with because we see eye-to-eye on almost everything sent me an email again and said, I won't hide my friendship, personal friendship, with Larry Obhoff, but after t- uh, 20 years plus experience in the state house and political work, I've endorsed against friends multiple times. Business is business, and this is about results, not rhetoric. If you think Obhoff is the problem and Keller is your answer, I can't help you. I'm about results, not rhetoric. And my response to that I want to share to this individual who will go unnamed is this. Candace Keller cannot call a vote in the uh, Ohio Senate today to override uh, the veto of 311. No one can do that except Larry Oboff. And Larry Oboff refuses to call the vote. Ergo, Larry Oboff is the problem. You can dance around it all you want. You can couch it in personal loyalties and friendship all you want. But the bottom line is, nobody can call that vote today except for Larry Oboff. Now, if he calls the vote and their votes aren't there, then we'll go after those who did not vote for it. And tell them, we blame them for selling out uh, Ohioans' personal liberties. But for now, the only person who can give them a chance to cast those votes is the Senate President, Larry Alboff. And if he refuses to give them the chance, then he is the problem, and it's not debatable. It is just simple arithmetic. Uh, Tanya is in Akron on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Tanya, go right ahead. Hey, <laughs> Thank you for informing me where my money went. I had not looked at the bill. I knew six hundred dollars wasn't going to be wasn't going to be enough. And now I'm I'm serious. You know, if you divide that and just give all up, this was supposed to be a bill for American citizens because of a close down that they perpetuated that had people losing their jobs. They give us six hundred dollars and give the rest of the world more money than they do us. This is a problem that I can't grasp with my friends that say American first was a trigger word. What are we supposed to be, American last? I just don't get this. Well, I yeah, mean, to answer that question, right. yes. Yeah, that, no, I mean, I that that is I, a thousand percent correct. Uh, Tanya, the, 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 the enemies of this country 
that are within this country, meaning those on the far left who do not believe in uh, the American people coming first, who do not believe, who are globalists, who believe that other nations' uh, priority should should supersede ours, those individuals uh, that truly believe exactly what you just said, that it should be America last. And the bottom line is, sadly, too many of them have been elected. That's why even though we closed the gap really, really and thank you for the call, Tanya, i got to get to the news here, even though we closed the gap on November 3rd in the House, they still hold the majority. And as such, they can still drive the policy and uh, the budget. And they are the ones, I promise you, well, let me, I won't say I promise you, I would be stunned if any Republicans included language of $10 million to Pakistan for gender studies, or gender programs, I think it was called. If any Republican came up and said, you know, I like what we're doing here with the direct payments, but I want to give $700 billion, or I'm sorry, $700 million, beg your pardon, about three-quarters of a billion dollars to Sudan, I would be stunned by that. Now, I don't know who did it, who did what behind closed doors, but I believe this is every bit of the Democrats doing, based on their own statements, based on their own history. Peter Kirsten now joins us after the news.